mutants. Since the discovery of their existence, they have been regarded with fear, suspicion, often hatred. Across the planet, debate rages. Are mutants the next link in the evolutionary chain? Or simply a new species of humanity fighting for their share of the world? Either way, it is an historical fact. Sharing the world has never been humanity's defining attribute. Hey everyone, my name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. Welcome to another special of Make Ours Marvel called Not Comics. This is our 10th Not Comics special. It's almost like we've been doing this thing for a whole year or close to it, which is kind of crazy. But we are here to talk about another movie today. That's all we talk about well, yeah. on these specials so when far. Well, when we're not talking about comics. Well, true, true. So we are resuming our recently begun journey for 2019 through the X-Men franchise of films. Uh, we talked about X-Men 2000 last year, and today it's X2 from 2003. And we have invited to rejoin us on this journey our friend from sci-fi fangirls, writer and comics guru extraordinaire, Sarah Sentry. Welcome back to the show, Sarah. Thank you very much. What's up? We keep tricking you. That's what's up. Awesome. <laughs> Third time. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. So um, we are here to talk about some X-Men. And I just finished this movie a short while ago. And I think the last time I saw it was right before going to see X-Men 3. Wow. I think. No, no, no. That's a lie. That's all lies. That's a big pile of lies. Lily and I did a watch through of all the X-Men movies leading into Days of Future Past. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I, I saw it before then. Uh, I've seen this one a lot. This is definitely like a rewatch movie for me, especially of the X-Men franchise. Yeah. Yeah. Sarah, what's your experience with the film? You've, you've, have you seen it a few times? Um, I totally, I think that I emerged parts of this movie into my memory of X-Men 1 and X-Men 3. So to me, this movie like almost doesn't exist or something like I was like watching it back being like, oh, yeah, OK, I remember all this like striker stuff. OK, I, for some reason, I thought it was like Wolverine Origins where all that stuff happened. It does. Um, yeah. Cool. <laughs> Again. <laughs> Again. <Right. laughs> Didn't see enough of striker this round, you know, we need some <laughs> more of this guy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I kind of just like, I honestly have no real memory of seeing it. I guess I just, uh, blended it in with like the other X-Men movies I saw at the time. Well, I think when I saw this, this is the one I do know I saw in the films. I'm not positive. I saw the first one in the theaters, although I think I probably would have done, but I know I saw this one. Cause I remember walking out of there talking about the stuff at the end with the teases about the Phoenix and 
you know, as I said last time, my X-Men comics knowledge during this time period was almost nothing. I knew nothing about what a Phoenix was, just that they teased it. It was going to happen, and I was excited. The most I knew about Phoenix at the time was seeing the phrase Dark Phoenix Saga on the VHS um, copy of the X-Men animated series collection at the video rental store. It's so good, too. The animated series is a kind of hit and miss, but that Phoenix Saga is really good. I still haven't seen it. Uh, <laughs> Probably should. Uh, it's solid. <laughs> I, I, I did recently watch through the first season of that series with my son, and mm-hmm. I was rather surprised at like how much of a continuous saga the story structure is of X-Men the Animated Series. Oh, yeah. Previously on X-Men. Right. I remember the first two kind of being a part one, part two, but I didn't realize it was, it was like, it was no, it was parts one through 13. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It kind of just like ran into each other and it gets so, so convoluted. They bring in all of these characters. They, <laughs> it's just shocking that they <laughs> would bring them in. It's like, you're seeing like Maverick who I think had appeared maybe in like two comic books at the time or something like that. <laughs> it was all, it was very, very, very nineties influenced, especially you know, so nice. how, how hot X-Men and Jim Lee and all that was going on at the time. Right. I mean, that's pretty much a reflection of that animated series, if I remember correctly. But I haven't seen yeah. it in a long time. They did not shy away from just, like, throwing the most random ties of continuity into that series. Yeah. Anytime like, you, have, you have Jubilee and you have Cyclops wearing his, like, suspender outfit, <laughs> then it's the 90s. Yeah. Well, you you ha- you have the person walking down the street, and they look up, and suddenly there's Cable there. And yeah, and Cable. <laughs> yeah, and that leads into an Apocalypse storyline, which I think more explicitly linked Cable to Apocalypse than the comics had done yet. Like they'd hinted at it, but not actually done a link between them. And <laughs> anyways, that that's that's another conversation for another time, probably. Right. Okay. So X three. It's two thousand three. No. X2. 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 It's 2003. X-Men 3 is another conversation for another time. X2 or X2 X-Men United, which I always found interesting. Like, when did that happen? I think it didn't show up like that till the DVD or something. Because I remember just being X2. Yeah. They're not super united in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Right? That's true. Yeah, they get all split up and go their separate ways. Yeah, they're kind of even just ideologically, like, kind of not together on this one, so... Uh, which, looking as a... Because we had to stop the movie after about an hour and a half last night because my son was getting tired. This is actually a rather extended film. Um, so yeah, so we started <laughs> up again for, like, the hour-long final act. And I was thinking that the plot was actually a lot simpler than I remembered it being, like, just a plot structure, like... They decide they're going to attack the mansion. Two missions get run. They attack the mansion. Everyone comes back together and they go stop Striker. And that's just that's just all there is to it. Mm-hmm. But I guess it works. It was a really really popular film at the time. Totally. Yeah, I still think I think it's. I mean, I'm getting the sense that you two don't think this, but I think it's uh, the best X Men movie we've got. Personally, I was gonna rate it maybe vying for the top spot with. Days of Future Past. That's kind of how I felt coming away from it. Sarah, how do you feel about it? 
I guess I don't really know. I kind of, I don't know. I enjoyed it, but there was a, like, as you say, the plot was a little on the spare side. It's kind of unfair to criticize for that, though. I felt like that was, like, half of my criticisms of, like, the last one was being like, there's so much going on. What do they mean? Um, And in this one, I was kind of just like, cool, cool. All right. We got Stryker. He's being a jerk. Like, you know, there's always, like, the guy who's a jerk in the movie. But, uh... Yeah, I don't know. I thought it was good. I but I also was kind of like just like, oh, this was from this and that was from that, kind of like trying to sort it out in my head. And mm-hmm. I think also uh they did just do that Brian Singer article through the Atlantic, so it kind of tainted my viewing enjoyment, I think a little uh-huh. bit. Like I was and, just like, oh god, I'm so mad at that guy, but you know. Did I you don't see know. somebody s- suggested that he direct Guardians 3. I don't know if that was a joke. It had to be a joke. I did just see that. It's like, how is that solving any problem? It's like, (laughs) you guys are just doing... You guys are just putting these articles out there to, like, be silly. Like, there's just no point. And just for anyone who missed it, what was the gist of that Atlantic article? Oh, he's, like, a, like, really bad person. Basically, like, he did a lot of really messed up things. involving like Kevin Spacey, essentially. Yeah, young men and... Hollywood, um, there was already rumors about that for a really long time. Like people had talked about it. I hadn't, I had kind of done what I could to avoid reading about it because it's super triggering subject matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then like the Atlantic article came, it was like seven o'clock in the morning when I first like woke up that day. And I just kind of like looked at it and was like, dear God, like this is so messed up. Um, yeah. But unfortunately, next, like, X3 is also directed by Brett Ratner, who's also terrible. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> I don't really know. I, like, feel like, can you guys yeah. uh, get maybe a different, like, criteria for the directors that you pick, maybe? <laughs> or, like, who knows? Or, or, is, or is that just, like, so much of Hollywood? I don't know. Yes. I, I get the impression that, historically speaking, Hollywood is not the best place to find awesome men. Uh, no, you'd be right about that. But at the same time, that's like true of most industries. (laughs) So it's kind of like, you know, we have to start drawing these lines in life. But uh, yeah, I don't know the I think maybe something about that Atlantic article made me just be like, not not as into this movie as maybe I would have been otherwise, I guess. Yeah, it is. It is. It is weird trying to get enjoyment out of art or commercial art where you know so many negative things about the creators and people involved in the creation of that art. It's yeah. like, I want, I want to enjoy these X-Men comics, but so many of the names and the credits are, are questionable. And that happens in comics, <laughs> like all of the time too. I'm like, wow, I hate Frank Miller, you know? So that's kind of an endless thing. Well, with that grain of salt being understood, let's go ahead and get into the film. Um, I thought this movie had some really awesome opening stuff. Um, I was watching with my son <laughs> and he wasn't, he didn't realize at first what was going on. And of course the stuff with Nightcrawler at the beginning is kind of subtle. And his first words were, is that Bamf? And I said, <laughs> you mean Nightcrawler? He's like, no, I'm telling you for the record, his name is Bamf. <laughs> <laughs> it's like one of those little, little kid things. He realizes he had it wrong, but you know what? He's sticking to his guns. <laughs> that was a really cool scene and actually that's one of maybe the sad things about this movie is i really like nightcrawler a lot and then we never see him again kind of oh i guess we do 
as a child, or you know, a younger version. I just realized in oh, Apocalypse. Right. In Apocalypse, but yeah, like here's the the what's weird is like this movie and the first one we've already talked about, and then of course the third one seems like almost a different thing than what comes after it. Um, mm-hmm. This is like the more like normal, straightforward, easy to digest version, and then you know. Uh, um, um, Dave Cochran takes over, and all of a sudden, like, truly really convoluted continuity, and seems more like X Men movies, or you know, more accurate reflection of the X Men. But like, these movies are just kind of like the one, two, three, are sort of like some a story arc, and then yeah, I guess all the uh, what's all that? What's that younger stuff called? I can't remember. Red Children's and the origins and the time travel and and everything. So. But yeah, I was kind of sad that, you know, Nightcrawler and What's-His-Face playing Nightcrawler didn't make it in the third movie, because I thought he was pretty good in this one. Oh, he's good, yeah. Um, I love Alan him. Cumming, right? Yeah, Alan Cumming, there you go. God, mm-hmm. he's great. Really cool look. They got his powers really, uh, you know, handled that really well, I thought. And uh, I would have I liked to see him in another movie, because in this movie, he's playing, like, the kind of scared guy who doesn't know what's going on, and he's new, and mm-hmm. he's trying his best. He, there's no flamboyant... Kurt Wagner yet, other than that one hint when he was talking about being in the circus. Yeah, like the twice. He says the one line and then they cut him off the second time. But yeah. in the Munich Circus, I was known as the Amazing Nightcrawler. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to see more of that if he was in X-Men 3, but oh well. I guess... I don't know why that didn't happen. I don't really know why either. Um, he was so good in this movie, I thought. Just excellent. It was a good, it was a good, a good example of why the X-Men are the X-Men when you get to see you know, mutants that are running scared. And in his particular case, he can't hide amongst regular people. Mm-hmm. And you got like a couple of glimpses of his personality, whatever personality is leak lurking behind the fear. Like, um, you know, whenever they are talking to Magneto initially and he's kind of silly, he's like, you know, we could get a closer look. And then at the end of the, pre- in the president's office, whenever he's sort of like laughing on the wall there, like, you just glimpses that somewhere in there is a bit more of a, I don't know, flamboyant, extroverted nightcrawler. He's just had a hard, you know, recent life. Mm-hmm. But it is important that in the comics, too, they always had a very sincere edge to that character. So they emphasize that in this movie. But that even in and of itself, I thought was pretty true to the character. Yeah. yeah like what do you think of all the, uh, I can't, did he do that to himself? All those tattoos and stuff as a new element. That was interesting. I was like a little, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess like I wouldn't have felt like Nightcrawler would do something like that because he in the comic is always talking about how like he's kind of he's basically just like a pretty boy, but he is also covered in like blue fur, has pointy ears and looks kind of like a demon. Uh Um, So like without that, he would be like a very handsome guy. And I feel like he uh prides himself on his appearance a lot um so i could see it more if he was doing it uh, i guess as like a vanity thing or if he like wanted it but it seemed kind of like it was intentional but kind of a brooding thing i kind of missed why he did that well i think it, he said it was angelic symbols right oh one and, for every sin and i i have never really read any nightcrawler you know, Catholic Nightcrawler? Mm-hmm. Because I think that's a more recent development, isn't it? I mean... Well, he was always Catholic, but he uh, got a lot more serious about it as time went on, for sure. So he had right. these times where he would kind of be off at, like, 
a monastery or something like that. Um, but also his girlfriend was like Amanda Sefton, who was a witch like the whole time. So it's really kind of an interesting thing with Nightcrawler and the um, religion. But I don't know. I guess I buy it. I think it makes sense for his character. I think it's good. Um, I don't know how much he like really is a guilt-ridden character or whatever. So I kind of, I guess like I didn't know really what they were trying to say with all of the scarring, but also it looked really cool. So <laughs> it almost, it seemed, it, go ahead, John. It almost feels like, I mean, as you're talking, I'm trying to think about like putting it in the context of the rest of the character it almost feels like thrown in just as a way of saying this guy's really religious. Let's have him scarring himself as a penitential act, which is really kind of strange in the context of the rest of what we see about him. Yeah. Um, Especially since he's, his religion has always been more of like a positive thing, I guess, but that uh probably just has a lot to do with like what the screenwriters views on religion are, I guess. Like he's like, yeah, it's like sad and depressing. I was thinking he, it was also like maybe a way of telling us that he thinks his very existence is sinful because he's never met cool people like himself. He's always been surrounded by humans that are, you know, throwing him in the circus or I guess now brainwashing him or mm-hmm. whatever. So maybe he it seemed like throughout the movie he started getting more and more opened up to this idea that, hey, there's other crazies like me and maybe I'm not, you know, a bad evil demon freak or something. Mm hmm. Yeah, and it's like, uh, it was the same in the last episode where we were talking a lot about how, well, this would be how this character was if they had not had this happen, in, as uh-huh. happened in the comics. And I feel like, yeah, I mean, we didn't know much about his circus background. We didn't know much about any of that, like his family with like the X-Men. Those were all things that were uh, foundational, I guess, with the character. So I guess if he didn't have those, maybe he would have been a much more self-loathing person and ha- wouldn't have had the same confidence. But then I, you're just—it's like you're just kind of like, eh, I'll let it go. He looks cool, whatever. <laughs> I fear that it may have been one of those conversations that started out as a visual thing, and then they try to come up with a script way to justify it. Because mm-hmm. like I, at the end of the day, they're probably thinking, okay, we've got to put these superheroes on the big screen. He's got the blue makeup. It would look weird to just have him walking around with blue makeup. Let's give him some texture to it. Well, in the comics, he's furry. Well, that's hard to do. So let's give him, what can we do? Oh, he's religious. Let's give him some, some you know, self-inflicted religious symbols. And I don't know. What the heck are I, angelic symbols anyway, by the way? I don't mm-hmm. know. I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I know I'm not Catholic, but yeah, I, I understand it. Well, I okay. was. I understand that there's a lot of angelic mythology in Catholicism and Catholic tradition. Like there's a lot of story and belief built around the different angelic host members. So there may just be some stuff with that. I think it really looked just like random geometric contouring on his face Mm -hmm. and stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. It just looked cool. I mean, that's totally what it was, right? (laughs) Yeah. It looked cool. I, I, I just think the explanation is a, bit questionable (laughs) and back to that beginning you know what else is interesting what i liked about it is it kind of helps you i don't know if we should feel good about the human race hating mutants but boy that was really scary how the president can almost die or be assassinated you know by this one guy who just decides to go in there and that's a guy they don't even know this but that's a guy who's not even in his right mind and he easily just busts his way in there so it's like maybe there should be some regulation or or something 
we to, all remember you know, when this. we are. Since X Men and X Two, between those two movies, nine eleven happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now we have, in the wake of nine eleven, creating this scene of somebody just infiltrating the presidential office on a whim. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was the choice that was made. Yeah. It was a good scene. <laughs> it was a good scene. It really just like lets you see how awesome Nightcrawler is when he wants to be. Mm-hmm. Um. So we get the tour, and um, I one of the things I like about both of these films is the emphasis on the X-Men as a school. Yeah. I know that, that in the last, like, I don't know, since 2000 or the mid-2000s, that element has had a resurgence. Mm-hmm. But in the 80s and 90s, at least what I've read, I feel like that was lost quite a bit. The, about the halfway idea. through the New Mutants, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the New Mutants were doing it, but, like, the X-Men books weren't really. No. Um, and so it was neat to see that back. And maybe the comics were already doing it by then. But nowadays, you know, having fresh, new, young mutants is, like, part of the ongoing X-Line. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense. They should take advantage of this system they've created where they don't have to have a reason for someone to have powers. I mean, come on. You don't have to come up with a radioactive, you know, termite biting you or anything. You just say, hey, this guy shows up because he's a mutant. So they, you know, the X-Men have the advantage of just, you know, refilling their team or their book full of people whenever they want, really. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's a lot easier to view Xavier in a sympathetic light whenever he's a teacher mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of being That's... like, oh, here's these teenagers that I'm going to, like, throw into war, basically. like Especially <laughs> Patrick Stewart, Xavier. Yeah. Who, you know, obviously does not do comic book Xavier justice because he's not evil enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's nice. <laughs> he doesn't stroke Angel's biceps nearly enough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or, like, just have these, like, ongoing thoughts about how his students are babes or whatever. And you're just like, dude, you're, like, 45. Like, chill. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we got some... Again, they're just cameos. They're not even characters. But, you know, through the course of the students, we did see Kitty Pride again. We did see Jubilee again, Sans the Yellow Jacket. But we also saw Artie and, mm-hmm. and Leech are, like, my two favorite little Moppets from the 80s. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know if they exist anymore, but I love them. And I'm so glad that Artie at least got name-dropped here, even if it's not really Artie. And Siren? Is that her name? Yep, oh, Siren. Siren is in this. Yes. No Banshee, but Siren. It's interesting. <laughs> Okay, oh. so all that all that we're seeing there is like probably my favorite scene in the movie, the invasion, right? I mean, mm-hmm. come on. First of all, they hinted at that in the X Men, the first movie, when he's like, "What? What's going to happen? Does it keep you up at night when they're going to attack you?" He's like, "Yes, it does keep you up at night. I feel really bad for anybody who's going to attack our school." Cut to X Men <laughs> two, and they attack the school immediately. <laughs> it was such a good scene, though, man. I, I think this movie, what I like about it is it's full of good scenes because that opening scene is oh, awesome. Yeah. The attack scene. Is fantastic. I mean, how great is it that they arrange it so that like pretty much only Wolverine is there to supervise, right? That just makes right. it perfect. It's it'd be always t- it'd be... so good when they do that in the comic. Like I know, anytime right? they have like Wolverine as like the sole protector of the kids, you're just mm-hmm. like, Oh my god, this these poor children, but also <laughs> they're gonna survive and that's great. <laughs> it's and it's nice to see like cause the first movie he's the guy that's out of his element. And doesn't want to be there now. You could tell he's kind of fitting in more. He just got back from his trip, of course, but like he's willing to hang out and babysit. I like that scene where he's talking to Bobby in the kitchen a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, That's like being cute. being Rogue's daddy and making sure they're not doing too much. You know, yeah, but also, 
Yeah, I also like the way he related to Bobby. I felt like there was, I mean, some good father son type of conversation going on exactly. there. Just you know, yeah. you know, it, it's it's neat to see men of different generations bonding in a healthy way. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Siren was there. Kitty, uh, Jubilee. Um, now, now you, you want to talk cameo? This is sad that it's a cameo, but Colossus was also there. Mm-hmm. I was so um, excited when that happened. So excited yet also so disappointed because once again, just like we kind of complained last movie, how like Storm and Cyclops and everybody, they don't do anything. Um, We have Cyclops there and he has the greatest entrance in the world. And then it's like, I could help you. No, go help them in that tunnel off camera. And plus he's not Russian. So that was annoying. The Russian thing that throws me off more than like anything in any of these movies. Whenever I see Colossus talking and he doesn't have a Russian accent, I'm just like, what am I watching? <laughs> yeah. But like any other comic book, if Colossus was in the house and it was being invaded, he and Wolverine would just mop up together, right? Like Last why 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 send him away? He's probably but anyway, I guess in this universe he's sixteen years old and not mm-hmm. ready to handle anything. And at the time, I, I rationalized it as probably they just didn't have the money to do a, a you know metal or body the entire time, or yeah. something like that. Of course, we had yeah. you know T two was a decade earlier, so I think they would have been able to do that, but maybe not. Well, they're um, doing it now. Yeah, <laughs> so that's nice. So anyway. you mentioned earlier that we had Siren, but not Banshee. But here's the thing: there's that list of mutants that they bring up on the computer at that one point. And we totally paused it, and I read down the entire list with Keenan. Oh. So there is a, um, I'm blanking on their last name, Cassidy, Cassidy, with a parentheses two next to it. And I was like, oh, that's going to be uh, Teresa and Sean. It's Sean, right? Sean Cassidy. Yeah, yeah. So they two were there. Um, the uh, uh Crap, Cannonballs. And Gut- Guthrie was another thing that had a, a number two beside it. Mm-hmm. And just a whole long lit Gambit was in that list. Lots of people were in that list. <laughs> Going to have to send Gambit back, but <laughs> the rest good. <laughs> there was also well, a list of... Gambit actually shows up at some point. Yeah, he's in, in, Origins. Origins. in Origins. Yeah. <laughs> for, for all um, that's worth it. And there was that Gambit movie. They're making a Gambit movie. They're making a... And then they never made a Gambit movie. Um, Great. Good. Make a Storm movie instead. Don't make, make a Gambit movie. <laughs> Is he still popular, or is everybody just done with him? I was always done with him. I don't well, know. I but he like was I, popular, right? He like, was really popular. I think he's still popular. And then also, uh, he's better now. They just got finished doing like a few series with him where he's actually really awesome. Um, I just knew him, I guess, as a kid. Whenever it was like the creep <laughs> from the cartoon, who's like oh. always punching walls because Rogue talks to like other dudes or whatever. Um, so I just remembered him from like the '90s when he was like really terrible, and then uh, sometimes good, but mostly terrible. And then lately, they've been doing all kinds of cool stuff with him. There was that yeah. Mr. and Mrs. X series, right? Wasn't that him and Rogue? So good, yeah, especially since like they get Rogue and Gambit got married when uh, Colossus and Kitty Pride go to get married. But Kitty Pride, like when he goes to put the ring on her finger, she just phases and is like peace and leaves him at the altar, which is like the coldest thing. And then um, Gambit and Rogue are just like, oh shit, like let's us get married then. 
and they just like <laughs> we got this totally wedding just, here. Let's just use it. They totally just steal the wedding, and it's amazing. It's like wow. one of my favorite things. Okay, so I have a question because on that same screen where they listed all the mutants, they then listed lots of projects, and like the Omega Red project was there, and other stuff that we would recognize. But okay. Every time I see this word, I feel like I should know what it is because I've seen it before, but I never know what it is. What is Project Wide Awake? Oh, geez. What is that? Project Wide Awake. Uh, doesn't ring any bells to me. Okay. I thought I could Google it, but I thought I'd ask y'all. Now y'all are letting me down. <laughs> yeah. I'm Googling it and pretending I know what I'm talking about. Okay. I'm letting myself down a little bit with this one. I'm, that sounds so familiar. Okay. President secretly instructed a national security code to create a covert, illegally commissioned, uh, create a covert, illegal commission to deal with the problems posed by an increasing number of mutants in America. Codename Project Wide Awake. The, com- the commission was headed by National Advisor Judge Petrie and included Frank Lowell. Well, this is a really boring. Dr. Valerie Cooper, <laughs> uh, oh. Henry Guyrich. So it's it just was- a, it's just the evil humans that don't like mutants getting together and calling themselves something. Sounds like. <laughs> And Val Cooper, who's just like in random things, but it's uh, it sometimes like she's evil. That's true. Um, it looks like it was an executioner song. Is that I guess maybe what it's from? Okay, so it's just something they threw in there to get give us like you know what do you call those things? Easter eggs. All right. You're it like, also looks like it was. Google this. Looks like it was all the <laughs> way back to the first issues of New Mutants. So it's oh, it's the anti-mutant human team. Uh-huh. Uh huh. The government. Yeah, Kelly, Guyrich, Chalmers, Cooper, Mystique, back when she was masquerading as a government agent. <laughs> yeah, like this movie. Raven. Oh, yeah, she did that in this movie, didn't she? Mm-hmm. She took over, what's his face's role? Mm-hmm. Which is weird, because, like, Robert Kelly was there doing, you know, Robert Kelly things, but it wasn't really Robert Kelly. And, like, unless you're really paying attention to the continuity, you're kind of lost on, you know, what this guy's all about. Happily, mm-hmm. it didn't play into the movie that much, but it was neat. Yeah. I, I, I like the idea that she's, like, been... I don't know how many months it's been. They probably said, I can't remember. But, like, I, I like that she's, like, influencing government as this known mutant hater now flip-flopping because, of course, she's not really... Or he's not really him. Mm-hmm. It's like another time for me to just talk about how much I really loved Mystique. Uh, uh-huh. she, she was so good in this movie. Yep. And I totally forgot, like, when she shows up as Rebecca Romaine Stamos or whatever, I was like, oh, my God. Like, I forgot that that's what you look like. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. That's a great scene. Yeah, it There's really another good is. scene. She's yeah. so good. And then her conversation with Nightcrawler was great. Like... Yeah. All of all of her appearances. She's like kind of the runaway hit of these movies that I like forgot about or something. She tortures Wolverine at one point. And, <sighs> I love her uh, torturing Wolverine by pretending to be Jean Grey. That happens so much in the comic. It's like, dude, you know it's not her. Your senses should tell you that. Like she's um clearly not Jean Grey. Like Jean Grey certainly is not coming into your tent at night to have sex with you, dude. But like yeah. He's all like, this is awesome. <laughs> oh, no, it's terrible. <laughs> you you tell Wolverine that Jean Grey is not coming into his den. He's like, unless she is. <laughs> <laughs> so you're and, saying I've got a chance. Right? <laughs> and, and kudos to uh, Hugh Jackman for playing an excellent mystique, too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for that five seconds she shapeshifted at him. I thought it was really funny. Like, he had a different look on his face. It was a good job. And also, yeah. uh, also like, the. That's uh, not him. 
the freaking general dude. He got to be Mystique for a while and give a little toodaloo wave. Oh, yeah, yeah. Was closing. Was you know, awesome. I liked Mystique in this. I remember what Mike said last episode about how she has so few lines, but her lines are so important. Yep. Like uh, you mentioned, Sarah, the conversation with Nightcrawler, and he's like, you know, why don't you look like the other people? And she says, we shouldn't have to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she's just, she and Magneto are adorable. Mm-hmm. They're totally. all like laughing and giggling and snuggling not snuggling snuggling but kind of snuggling on the plane it was really really funny and cute that was one of my favorite moments of rogue too because she just like pulls her glove off and is like i'm about to like mess you up right now like, <laughs> and, they, that's right. and then they're like still snickering at her and stuff and she's like <laughs> they're acting like the mean kids table in high school they were just, and he's like 70 it's so funny i loved it <laughs> that was 70. great 70, 17, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> he does act like a 17-year-old often, in all fairness. What's cool about Magneto in this movie, since we're talking about him, is, uh, you know, last movie he was just a bad guy. That's easy, mm-hmm. whatever. This movie, they make you feel a little sorry for him because he's got a mean, gross, fat, ugly guard who's beating on him every day. And, mm-hmm. you know, we know that we know that Stryker's, like, torturing him and mind-controlling him for information. So it's like, oh. Poor Magneto. That's not nice. We don't like that. Um, and then he works with the X-Men, at least up to a point, which is always fun. Mm-hmm. Of course, he ultimately sort of like, you know, stack, stabs him in the back, which we knew was sort of coming. But um, I like that's kind of like how I like Magneto is where he's sort of like because we're right now we're covering 60s Magneto, which is just like ugh, <laughs> like the worst kind of because he's just over the top evil, not only to X-Men, but his own people, you know. Yeah, I sort of like interesting. Yeah, I sort of like when he has like maybe his foot in in both good and bad. You know, you're never quite maybe more like Submariner type. You're never sure if he's going to help you or not help you. Yeah, uh, and he's carrying like a lot of darkness, like Namor does, yeah. where you're just kind of like, oh, this guy might eventually just go full villain, and uh-huh. he's going to have a pretty good reason to do it. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And so I also I, is not and I like that you can like uh, you can kind of see why someone like Pyro maybe would be attracted to Magneto. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like once, once he meets him, like I like that scene where it's like, you should never, you should never, um, you are a God among men or whatever. He said, like, you should never hold back or hide who you are. And that was everything you know? that Pyro ever wanted somebody to say. Right. So it's like now Pyro has his own like professor X that he can actually sink his teeth into instead of what he's been struggling with, which is, you know, I don't want to be like these people. So, Kind of makes sense. Talking earlier about positive male interactions, and maybe this is an example of a not so positive male interaction. I mean, I'm sure Pyro felt good about it. Yeah, it's positive for him, but it's not, you know, the best influence going on here. Um, But talk about Pyro made me think about okay, so whenever the kids are on the run and they go to Bobby's house, Uh and oh my gosh, this was so 2003. Because then yeah. we have the whole conversation about whether or not Bobby Drake is actually gay. I mean, a mutant. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, speaking as a gay, like that is straight up 1000%. Have you tried not being a mutant? Yeah. It was yeah. like, it's like all of the stereotypes of like you're the parent that is not supportive, I guess. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just like that occurs in like maybe a five, how long is that scene? Like five minutes or something like that? Uh huh. Yeah. But it's another good example of it's it's sucking to be a mutant. You know, we get to see a a home life of somebody who is hiding at Xavier's school, not able to communicate with his parents what's really going on. And that kind of insidious uh, lack of 
respect that happens is definitely uh, something that I am sure resounded pretty strongly with all queer people because <laughs> it's just like the idea that somebody is just being very like polite but terse with you mm-hmm. and like they don't want you in their house and that kind of like uh, tension that people get around gay people sometimes that's like a very familiar feeling there was that change of tone in the mom's voice when she went from the nice voice talking to Bobby to the, like you said, terse voice talking or addressing Wolverine, mm-hmm. you know, Who, which it's, by it's the complicated. Way, come on, Wolverine in a, best, in a domestic situation. How great a scene is that? <laughs> it was so, it's, it's like he's talking to the parents. What do you, what do you teach again? Art. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I actually I think that that's when I like Wolverine the most because when mm-hmm. I see him in this even in this one where it's like he's on his with the team or whatever, he just always is trying to get like a one up on Cyclops or whatever and like he always is just like gruff, like Nightcrawler mm-hmm. gets all sad cuz he cuts him off and like in the next movie you see Beast get all sad because he cuts him off and like I always am just kind of like God, dude, like they're just trying to bond with you. <laughs> like, yeah. just be nice. And then um, scenes like this, I'm just like, okay, cool. Like, this is why we like him. He's like historically in the comic books, he's the guy who looks after kids. You know, he's That's got true. a soft spot for kids, which I guess makes sense. Or, you know, it works for us because normally he's like this gruff dude who'd sooner, you know, stab you in the head than be nice to you. But when it comes to kids, he takes care of them in Isn't however he, he can. He protects them. And so I like that they've carried that over not only in these movies, but this movie in particular is like 90% Wolverine and the kids, you know, Wolverine babysitting the kids and, and, and helping them escape and get to where they need to go. So that's why it works, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. His uh, personality as a mentor makes a lot of sense for him. He went through like so much whenever he was a kid. And then you see him uh, always like going out of his way to be like respectful and kind and good to the kids around him. And then mm-hmm. mentoring kids, like who, I mean, especially in like the comic, I always remember uh, the Kitty Pride mentorship where mm-hmm. he's basically just like, this girl's like going to get herself killed. <laughs> like, and Kitty Pride is that character, like in the comics, who would 100%, you know, totally get herself killed. Like, she's brash and like runs headlong into every single situation. So their uh, friendship in the comic, I still think, is like one of the better friendships of X Men. She's kind of like Lois Lane in that. She's very highly capable and very full of confidence in her abilities. And so she throws herself into situations, but sometimes that backfires and does not go well for her. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, and it's kind of a different scenario because, like, to Kitty's credit, she's only 13, whereas Lois is, like, 33 still doing that. And she could turn intangible, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 she has superpowers, whereas Lois just has a superman. Now, this is, like, 100%, like, Lois is, like, my favorite character, so I have to not, I have to disclaimer and say I love and appreciate that she's 33 and still going headlong into dangerous situations, but it's, you can kind of forgive Kitty for it, and sometimes you're like, Lois, what are you doing? (laughs) So, um, apropos of nothing, I should mention, just because I see it here in my notes, that there are um, two actors in this. This is 2003 that this came out. So right after they filmed this, they would go on to film the Battlestar Galactica miniseries, which was also released in 2003. And I just recently started watching it because I don't know if either of you are a Battlestar fan, but um, Trisha Helfer 
the the main actress probably the face of that show has started doing a podcast going through that show and there are two count them two actors in this movie that went on to do that one of them is the little boy he was in i think he was in the first movie briefly but he's in this one he's the one who blinks his eyes and changes the channels oh yeah uh his his character name is jones and i don't know who jones is in the x-men mm-hmm. um but uh, he's a little red-headed boy he is boxy in the Battlestar Galactica miniseries. Um, it's it's a character from the original series, and they were going to use him, but then between the miniseries and season one, the character the, the actor hit puberty and like six inches and an octave deeper <laughs> voice, and so they couldn't let him be a little kid anymore. No. So he's there, but then also um, blinking, you'll miss him. At the end of the movie, whenever you have all those William Stryker soldiers, mm-hmm. Uh, the actor who had gone to play Chief Tyrrell, the main um, sort of square-jawed guy who works in the lower decks of Battlestar Galactica, he was in this film. So anyway, just a couple of shout-outs to Battlestar Galactica in, <laughs> in this movie. It's pretty neat to see. That was like my grandma's favorite show. <laughs> oh, the 70s one or the new one? The new one. She loved it. I uh, I watched a little bit of it whenever I would go visit her. Well, you know, if you ever want more stuff to watch, oh, I it, do. It, it is, it is, they have the podcast going now, which is why I'm rewatching it. Mm-hmm. But, but does uh, the podcast spoil? Cause I have a friend who wanted to listen, but then he's like, I haven't actually seen these episodes. So do I have to watch the entire show and then rewatch it again with the podcast? Or can I just um, watch it and not worry? There are probably minor, there are definitely minor spoilers along the uh, way. There has um, to be, right? But they mostly focus on the episodes at hand. Mm. Yeah, they don't really they don't really take the care that they might take to to guard against spoilers. So they they sometimes throw in something casually. Trisha Helfer, why should she care about spoilers? She's beyond that. Right. <laughs> I wish I knew who this Jones character was supposed to be, though. He goes on. He's in X Men. Uh, Three. Nobody. Too. I just looked it up. He's Jones in this movie. That's it. He, he was <laughs> That's not it. in the first one, but he is in the second and third he's, one. He's in the second and third and. They didn't say he's based on anybody, so they just made him up. Weird. Well, it's hard to be an X-Men, and your only power is you can turn the channel when you blink. So, <laughs> And you don't sleep. And you don't sleep. That's my power. <laughs> that, that whole business, that whole everybody's asleep, and Wolverine's just pacing around and checking in on people, that's a great scene. Isn't he cute? He's so cute in this movie. Yeah. I didn't like how he uh, just dived in and kissed Jean Grey on the face after she was like, hey, I'm not going to be with you. Um, oh, well. I didn't love that, but everything else with Wolverine was really cute. Yeah, I yelled at him when that happened. It happens. He does that. He does it. There's a page in the Inferno series, too, where he just like basically grabs her and kisses her. And you're just kind of like, dude. He's an animal. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> it's weird because it's like, I don't know. Changing sensibilities, changing awareness of what really, really, really is not actually as appropriate as you thought it was. But like grabbing women and kissing them forcefully is like this thing in movies. And in comics. I mean, Valkyrie, like the whole 70s and 80s was like literally like every guy that talked to her in the Defenders comic grabbing her and kissing her and being like, I'm pretty sure that like you're into me and she's like i don't think i know <laughs> everybody knows women don't know what they want come on yeah i guess so that is totally it though that happens in comics like and movies both where it's just like ah, i'm just gonna kiss your face or whatever and it's oh, like God. <laughs> if you watch like old 
those older I watched one the other day. I can't remember what it's called now, but it had it, the entire plot was like these two guys like trying to hook up with a girl, and she had to decide between them because that was their scenario they created. You know, <laughs> like did she even say I care about either one of you? I don't know. And you <laughs> know, at the like, end of the you, movie, she, she's like neither. <laughs> yeah, she didn't really make any suggestion that she cared about either one of them. But the entire plot is, oh, she's gonna pick me. No, she's gonna pick me. It's like okay, and by the like, way, she did. But anyway, it's like rather than face the possibility of rejection, we're just going to like make a move and see what happens. And, um, <laughs> Gene is wh- like actively rejecting this guy. <laughs> like, yeah. Like out loud saying no. I mean, yeah, it's so weird. And then like he's always like, oh, but I can like tell from your body language or something like that. And it's like, dude, that's like so much worse. Like he's got super mm-hmm. senses. Gotta stop. Doesn't matter what's going on with her. If she says no, it means no, Logan. Jesus Christ. Because that's the thing. It's obvious that she is resolving a conflict in her mind. She's having emotions. She's having feelings. And she's making a decision that he needs to respect. And she's super, I mean, she flirts with him. Like, she definitely did in the last movie. And even in this one, when he first shows up, she's like, the smile on her face. She doesn't smile like that at Scott. So I get what he's doing. Like, I see why he thinks this. But also, it's like, no. Oh, oh, Scott and Gene actually had a move, had a scene in this film where they actually yeah. got to be a relationship for a second. It was weird. Yeah, it, the, the chemistry is still just non-existent between those two actors. But, like, it was like, like at least they're saying I love you and stuff, you know, because you yeah. were like, that last movie, we were all so confused, like... Well, are they, they even, dating? Do they even talk to each other in the last movie? Yeah, and in well, this never. one, they like get weepy and cry and are like, I, I think love we decided like in the last movie, no chemistry, and she felt like a kept woman. Yeah. And this one was a little better. I did like how he uh, freaks out when she's basically sacrificing herself Yeah, mm-hmm. the to save them. That was pretty good acting on What's-His-Face's part. Yeah. Um, well, before James. we get too far away from the topic of uh, inappropriate handling of, you know, <laughs> women in, in the stories now sarah i've never i've never been a girl um yep. <laughs> it seems though yet, that it might be yet. A, <laughs> it might be a little bit weird to have rogue running around in a nightdress for half an hour uh-huh <laughs> do you agree was that was that weird maybe they should have had a robe before she left the mansion um you know i guess i can see how somebody would just be in their underwear like whenever this all happens but i don't see how she's the only one or <laughs> like how uh well colossus yeah. just had sweats that's true i mean it's like it's the same questionable shit you see in everything where you're like yeah dude i don't know this is like supposed to be a teen girl but she's being played by like a 25 year old <laughs> like there's like always kind of weird messages coming from movies and comics for that matter. And especially with Rogue, who's like almost every time she shows up, she gets like her outfit shredded in some like weird convenient way. So like, there's at no, least that's no like unstable molecules for Rogue. Yeah. They're like, Oh, she's the only one we didn't give them to. <laughs> we think it's great actually. Um, yeah. I don't know. I think that was pretty questionable, but you know, they're, yeah, they're going to, do what they do, I guess. They are going to do what they do. Um, I don't know. As a as a youngish viewer, I was um, how old was I when this came out? Two thousand three. I, I was twenty four. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was. My teens weren't too far behind me. Um, but you had some teen relationship stuff going on here, and it mm-hmm. wasn't like let's be super sexually active teens like on a CW show or something. It mm-hmm. was almost more like 
cute, innocent teens discovering their sexuality type stuff. And I kind of dug it. That's what's I love it when uh, Rogue is having those feelings and like is kind of having to struggle with, uh, you know, how it's going to work. Like that scene where like Bobby tries to kiss her and she's kind of just like not moving away, but she's like, you're probably going to die. Like mm-hmm. she really wants it, but also she's scared. And then she's like, she kind of glances away and like stuff like that. Like to me, I thought that that was like it communicated it because what, he also wasn't being a creep. Like he was just like being very sincere, making his like super puppy dog eyes. Um I thought that that was a really cute moment. And I just got finished like writing an article about like how Rogue is just kind of this figure for intimacy issues and how like a lot of storytelling around her is like somebody who like wants to be loved, but can't be loved and like can't decide on her partner and the circumstances around everything is always really conflicting. So I thought that that was interesting. So maybe even more that analogy even more augmented when you make Rogue a teenager. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like that he was a creep. He wasn't this strange New Orleans guy who just shows up and goes, ha ha ha. Well, he, um, he, he didn't had, tell her that if you if you really love me, you'll let me kiss you. Right. That's they, true. They've had yeah, the last. Yeah, did say that. Yeah, they've did had the last year, or whatever, to to get together. Mm-hmm. There was like a scene where he was like kind of pushy about it. And then that was, like, where she got, like, the ice breath or whatever. But that was, like, it wasn't too bad. I don't know. Like, it's, like, a weird situation. (laughs) He told Wolverine they've been trying, sort of. Right, yeah. But, you know, what are you going to do? And she didn't disagree with that either. Like, she was just like, yeah, it'd be awesome (laughs) if I could, like, make out with somebody ever. I mean, when we first met her, she was making out full throttle with a boyfriend. So it's not like she's never done that before. But that was also the first time she ever kissed a boy. Oh, that's right. And the last time, probably. Yep. Very traumatic. So you have kids who really want to do the kinds of things that kids do. And in a normal situation, whether or not you're actually going to do the things that kids like to do is always a question because are you ready? Do you want to? Whatever. And here there's just like more thrown into all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I thought that was I thought that was pretty great. Um, Storm had more lines in one conversation with Nightcrawler. And she had in the entire first film. She sure did. It was an interesting talk, though, because I felt like while Nightcrawler's personality came across pretty good, um, Storms didn't still. Uh, It was just like, what's happening here? What are they doing? Well, it's too late now. They've done it. But like, what did they do with her? It just feels like such a waste. Every time. A A waste of a good character, a waste of a actress we know can do good things when she wants to. Mm-hmm. And they have her in this weird fake looking wig. And, you know, now she's not even bothering with the accent because no one cares. Yep. <laughs> like that's how much they care about this character. Let's not even bother. Yep. And just phone everything in. And like, yeah, it just like nothing resonates with her. It's kind of sad. She and just the, a- the like weird scene of him kind of like telling her that she needs to like let go of her hatred is like one of those like dude, I don't know if you want to tell a black woman (laughs) to like calm down right now. Like, I don't think that this would hopefully make it into a script like 10 years later or something. Like, I don't think that this is good. Um, But like, also it's just kind of like, why is she like mad all of a sudden? We never really know what the hell. (laughs) Like, Well, she said that in um, when she was interviewing, interviewing, talking to uh, the gelatinous Senator too. Like, 
he said, I bet you hate me or something. And she said something. I can't remember what she said now, but something like sometimes I do or whatever. So she's got a real, you know, uh, problem with humans, like maybe more so than some of the other X-Men, but they don't really sell it or do anything with it. Well, and yeah, it the- doesn't make sense because it's like the exact opposite of her comic book story trajectory, like total opposite. Like she was a pacifist for a super long time. Um And then kind of, like, gradually had to, like, make these compromises uh, and, you know, commit murder (laughs) and stuff. (laughs) As we do. uh, As as X-Men do, certainly. Um, But, yeah, and then it kind of rounded back out to where she was, she's, like, a little bit more removed from that aspect of things again. Um, But, yeah, it was an interesting thing to be like, oh, she, like, doesn't like humans, but that's strange i guess and like it's kind of odd that that was like the only personality characteristic (laughs) that you're given with storm Mm -hmm. is like well she kind of hates humans and sometimes people need to tell her to calm down or (laughs) like whatever and it's like if you're the only x-men presumably most of the x-men like humans because that's why they're on board with this idea yeah of, of living together peacefully so it's like if she's the only one who doesn't like humans let's maybe play that up a little bit find out why what yeah, is her plans thing, why is she here why isn't she working with magneto the mm-hmm. thing is is that it's not good to use like the assumption that your your viewers are going to know the character from the comics a lot of these movies use that as a crutch maybe more than they should yeah but this is we're actually changing things almost like we have an idea of a different kind of story for storm, mm-hmm. but none of that story ever actually makes it on the screen. And it seems like it's just kind of this like arbitrary thing where they're like, well, she has to have some characteristic and we've Which decided that nightcrawler is like the faith based character. So she has to be the one who doubts and like they, have, you know, like it's all very tropey, but at the same time, it's like, you think they were going to hook up? They did in the uh, comic. I think yeah, they had like at least a flirtation for a while. It seemed like there was a little bit of that going on, but I wasn't sure. They're you know, cute I, in the comic, um, and I buy their attraction there. I didn't really buy it here because I was like, "What? <laughs> like, what draws these two together other than the fact that like she is a female character and he's like a male character, and neither of them have like anything else going on? Basically, like." So there was a Friends episode once where Janice is sitting there talking to all the friends. And she's like, okay, okay, I have a question. Which of the six of you have you know with which of the six of you? And I kind of feel like after a while, that's just the way the Xavier Mansion is. Like, you have all of these adults Uh, in a close living space for long enough Eventually, everybody is going to at least try the idea of flirting and being romantic with everybody else. <laughs> to be fair, that's not limited to X-Men. <laughs> that, I mean, Avengers Mansion is a little rocking once in a while, too. And Avengers Mansion, more and, so. <laughs> and, 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 you know, pretty much any comic where characters where characters have lasted 70-something years, they're all going to mm-hmm. make the rounds, I guess. Yeah. That's what people do whenever yeah. they're not fighting ro- giant robots. <laughs> Um, speaking of giant robots, that reminds me of like the best part of the next movie. Okay. Um, <laughs> what else do we have? We've talked about, uh, well, we, we haven't really talked about the, the story arc with Wolverine. We talked about Wolverine kind of like some of the stuff he does, but like the origin stuff in this 
was the first time I had gotten a really big income. Now, I remember going to the Walden books and seeing those Marvel Comics Presents Weapon X covers on the mm-hmm. stand and like opening them up and seeing, you know, the cyborg Wolverine, for lack of a better word, walking through the snow and everything else and being like, oh my gosh, what is this? But never actually buying them and reading them because, you know, I was a Spider-Man guy. That's what I did. <laughs> um, so, but getting into this, I had that as a reference point. I was like, oh my gosh, they're going to do all this stuff with the origins. And I really liked a lot of the teases. And as I was watching it this time, I was like, all the stuff that Stryker says to him at the end, none of that's ever going to get a payoff. What right? did he say? What do you mean? Well, just, just like, you know, you did the person you used to be, you know, oh. you, you were always an animal. I just gave you claws. And I was like, okay, we are going to get a Wolverine origin story eventually, but Wolverine himself is never going to get that information on screen. <laughs> um, well, he's going to, Oh, you mean like uh, the guy who lost his memory, Wolverine? He's yeah. not going to re- regain his memory? Yeah, I guess that never does happen, does it, that I can think of? So it was, it was it was cool to see a lot of the teases and nods to that, but also it was kind of some weird storytelling. Choices. Well, first of all, Stryker's lying because he wasn't an animal that he you know gave claws to or whatever. He was a dude. Mm-hmm. And he was he was happy. So Stryker's just an evil bastard, and we all know that. But two, that was a good scene in the sense that Wolverine finally gets to decide, you know, I'm sticking with the kid with the frog tongue and I don't care about you. This is my family now and I'm an X-Men. So that was kind of powerful and neat, but yeah, I guess he never gets his memory restored that I can think of in any of these movies, unless the time traveling thing at some point has changed all that, but it doesn't matter because he's not in a movie anymore. He's retired. Where are you Uh, on the uh, spectrum of Wolverine fandom, Sarah? Well, I wanted to note first of all um, that it's Department H Wolverine. There is actually a cyborg Wolverine who's a different character. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Oh yeah, yeah, the one from uh, early in the Hama run, right? Totally, that guy. Yeah. Um, And he had the little girl LCD. I loved that, (laughs) but then it kind of went on for a while. I got annoyed with it, but I did like it for a while. It did go on. I remember that. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so even robot wolverine takes care of little robots that's right it was cute. that's pretty cool mm-hmm. and yeah. that weapon x series was so good but i kind of feel like it's probably been retconned a billion times and therefore oh no, no longer matters but at the same time it's a good read if no one's ever read it that is and sarah that you might know this some of the um throughout that sh- that story um the guy in charge is making phone calls to a higher power Mm-hmm. And of course, in the modern era, that's been retconned as being um, the Romulus guy from the Origins series. Mm-hmm. But do you know who originally was planned to be on the other end of that phone call? Apocalypse. Apocalypse. What? That's silliness. Back when he used to make phone calls. <laughs> that's just silliness. Talk about taking like a grounded movie and just, or a grounded sh- story and just like making it bonkers. That's well, weird. Yeah, no, they're like, oh, what if it's like Apocalypse or something? Like, they just like, <laughs> don't not, even know. That's not the only time they do that. Because, like, I guess it was just in their mindset that, like, early on Apocalypse was involved in Wolverine's origins. Because there's that, like, jungle adventure story where he yep. goes and, like, has the love child with the jungle woman. And then fights Apocalypse at the end. And Apocalypse hints at the fact that he knows that he wasn't part of where Wolverine came from. It's crazy. But also it is a robot not apocalypse <laughs> in, in that scene yep yeah yeah it's a robot <laughs> pretending to be apocalypse uh, x-men I da, 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 x-men 
It's like you have to be so uh, thorough when you're talking about them because you can't say anything like Cyborg Wolverine or He Fought Apocalypse without <laughs> like caveats. <laughs> caveats, yeah. <laughs> it's like talking about Jamie Madrix dying. Well, actually. <laughs> we all knew that that was never going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine if they still did those asterisks with like the captions to explain things to new readers. Like I think every panel would probably have one. They would need like half a page. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they would need like annotations at the back of every issue. <laughs> <laughs> An appendix. Which you know what? For the collected editions, I would totally be a fan of. Oh yeah. I feel like they should I feel like in general, Marvel and DC should put more effort into making their collected editions accessible to new or growing readers. Seriously. In the the times whenever I've uh, explored reading through extended edition or collected editions, there's not a whole lot to say. Okay, so we're coming from here and we're going to here. And we reference this stuff along the way in case you want to know where else you can go. Mm -hmm. There's just none of that. At least not that I've seen. Yeah, they I feel like a lot of times when I read mainstream comics, I'm like, um, I know why I buy these, but I don't know why anybody else does sometimes because I'm just like, <laughs> this has to be so bonkers to just like walk into, especially now. Like I came in in the nineties and that was nuts. And it's just like, it's like 20 years later. It's so much more bonkers now than it was before. I was reading uh, Brian Michael Bendis's uh, new that not new anymore that Man of Steel miniseries. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, good, like a fresh start on Superman, and I was really enjoying it, really enjoying it. And then, like issue five, Jarrell is there, <laughs> and they're just talking to him, and no one, there's no caption explaining to me why Jarrell is there or why they're not freaked out that Jarrell is there. <laughs> and it's just like, dude, as a new reader, I'm not a new reader, but even if you're a new reader, that's like one thing you know about Superman. His freaking totally. parents are dead. So why is his dad here? And why is no one explaining to me why his dad is here? So that was just really threw the whole thing to me. I can totally see that. I mean, I can also tell you where Jarrell is from and why he's there. Well, I could but, Wikipedia it myself and I did, but still it just seemed like a silly thing to do. Kind totally of totally get it. Totally get it. And maybe that's part of it. Maybe they just realize that we have all this vast information at our fingertips. And if we want to know, we can, but, but like young, not young, like, age-wise but young and experience-wise um readers are not going to have like the base knowledge the background schema to put some of that information into um especially x-men jesus yeah that's what uncanny x-men.net is for i guess if you guys ever (laughs) check that out sometime but there's 28 page biographies on people yeah thanks for doing that uncanny.net yeah that is fantastic and also (laughs) 250 episodes of jay and miles explain the x-men Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Also. Killing it. <laughs> and what we need we every have... episode. We do. <laughs> Maybe that's why X-Men fans are so passionate, because they're so proud of themselves for keeping track of all this craziness. Totally. Requires a lot of work. It sure it, does. It requires very strong nerd muscle. Yeah. <laughs> what else do we have for this movie? Um, I just feel like a lot of it's just scenes, and I don't know what to say about them, but like Magneto, Magneto escaping is like one of my favorite you know, I even watch that on YouTube once in a while, just when I'm feeling it, you know, like <laughs> yeah. you have, a, you have too much iron in your blood. And it's just like, he goes from this poor old man who they're beating on every day to one of the most powerful people in the world that is unstoppable just because he had like a little ounce of iron that he could turn and shape into a couple of balls and, you know, kill everybody. It was just so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Mystique invading the mansion, 
or the not the mansion, whatever that was, the the dam, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, we forgot to talk about not that she has much character, but she's in it. What's her face? Lady Deathstrike. I was thinking Lady the same Deathstrike. Thing. Great fight, but you know, unfortunately, she's brainwashed the entire movie, so we don't really get a fun Lady Deathstrike. But it was a cool looking Lady Deathstrike. Mm-hmm. I uh, loved that fight scene. I thought that she mm-hmm. was great in it, and it was Absolutely. a huge bummer that she was brainwashed the entire movie. I don't like what that says about anything. And I don't even like what it says about the character. It bummed me out. But yeah. that fight scene was gold. Like, that was awesome. Yeah. yeah. Very um, good. Sadly, Lily was not able to watch this one with us. But she was in the room during the last part of the last act. And so she saw Lady Deathstrike and how she doesn't have a single line throughout that entire fight scene. Mm-hmm. And she's like, does she have a single line in this entire movie? And I was like, nope. uh, I, I was that gif of the guy who like puts the finger up and then like has nothing to say and walks away. <laughs> she but, doesn't, right? Um, I, even I if she does, she's mind controlled when she says it, so it doesn't if, matter. I think at one point she blinks and is almost not mind controlled for a second, just so we can see how he mind controls her. God, right. So and that was it. See her come back. She is such a good Wolverine villain. Like, yeah, I think she's dead now. God. <laughs> You never know. You never know. She has healing abilities. I guess she could like, I don't know what, what, I don't know what you do when your body's full of adamantium and you're underwater, but it's something in a new timeline now. That's true. New timeline. Um, That is true. We need more of her. She's excellent. She's always such a good foil for Wolverine too, because it's like, she's the one who's mad at him who like deserves to be. Yeah. I I have a question I was wondering and okay. No, none of us, neither of us can or none of us can answer this from firsthand experience and knowledge, but perhaps one of you has been in conversations along these lines and can, and, and can share some perspective that you've heard. But um, De- Lady Deathstrike is a Japanese character, or at mm-hmm. least in this movie she is. Yes, uh, she is. She's uh, all tied up in Yuriko that, uh, Oyama. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the actress is Chinese Hawaiian. Mm-hmm. Is that is that uh, a con? Is that one of those things that Asian Americans and Asian actors wish were different? They would match the nationalities more, or is it just a content that they're doing the ethnicity? How, does anyone do? We, do we all know how some people feel about that? Well, I'm white and I'm male, so I'm clueless about everything. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you guys know. Um, I would say, honestly, like, obviously, you know, I'm also not the best person to ask, but uh, generally, I would say, number one, don't ever let them cast a white Lady Deathstrike. (laughs) And then um, (laughs) beyond that, I don't know, it'd be up to the specific person. I would, I can't really say it's kind of hard, I guess. I I don't remember there being an outcry, but then this is 2003, not today. Right. Uh, I could see people being upset. I could also see people being fine with it. I don't know. Could go either way. I think at a certain, it's like, yeah, it's really hard to say, I guess, in some contexts. I guess with this one especially, because it's like, well, it's, uh, we want to be like, oh, cool. Well, it's great because they didn't cast, you know, Scarlett Johansson as Lady (laughs) (laughs) Stephanie. She did audition, though. Just (laughs) not. God damn it. Stay home sometimes, Johansson. Um, (laughs) But, like, yeah, I don't know. I think that, like, it would definitely be up to other people to say, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I I realize 
obviously that like we don't actually have anything to relate to on that, but maybe you know I like to have conversations with people who who have different experiences just so I can kind of see their perspectives. So I said enough, maybe either of you had been part of those kinds of conversations, but um, but yeah, it was she she has a really neat look throughout. The fight is amazing. And I still, you know, 20 years later, remembered and was expecting whenever she falls into the tank after being pumped full of the metal and her head clunks or Mm -hmm. clinks on the ground because, A, it's a metal skull because her bones are cased, but also it's a metal skull that's weighted down by an infusion of metal weight. So that was pretty great. I like that Wolverine was upset about how he defeated her, too. Yeah, because it was upsetting. No, but, like, it's not well, a, it yeah. wasn't cool, but. I mean, whether she's, he doesn't know if she's good or bad, but she he does know that she's being mind controlled, theoretically. So, regardless, mm-hmm. she probably didn't deserve that or even want to fight him under those and conditions. that's why, if she came back again, she would be the best villain because it'd be like, you should feel bad about this. Those you know are what's like cool? my favorite ones. You know, it's cool. It's like the best fights in both X-Men 1 and X-Men 2 is Wolverine fighting an awesome badass lady. So, mm-hmm. That's kind of neat. They didn't keep that tradition going, but it's very consistent with the comics. Like that yeah. was the scariest villains generally in the X Men comics, and I guess like a lot of the best fight scenes are with women. Now, do y'all wish that she had kept her sort of um, GI Joe action figure look from her early appearances? No, I liked her. <laughs> I liked her look. I thought her look was really cool. Either way, I like them both. <laughs> The her first time I not saw the best. her in the comics <laughs> was actually just a couple years ago, and I was like, oh my gosh, is that Lady Deathstrike? Okay. Yeah. Hello, 1980s. How are you? Right. She has those like weird padding, like yes. she has like, shoulder pads and stuff, and you're just like, yeah, I guess if I were a cybernetic assassin, I would probably have like shoulder pads. <laughs> 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 but I love the thing that I like about it is when her fingers are full stretch, and then it's like that weird angular look that she gets like that to me i think is a really good costume but it's like it's one of those that like does better or worse depending on what artist does them it's like sometimes Longshot has a cool costume and sometimes you're just like what yeah. dude? and it's still always the same costume but people just mm-hmm. draw it differently i feel that way like about thor that was totally. one of the early one of the earliest marvel characters where it's like when kirby's drawing him it's great and then someone else takes over and you go oh he kind of looks stupid yeah, this guy doesn't look like a Norse why god. He, why is he wearing a weird helmet with wings on it and <laughs> and big oversized buttons on his chest? I never noticed that before. And then Walter Simonson comes around mm-hmm. and it looks good it's again. It's like, wow, he's an epic god. This is awesome. Yep. <laughs> yeah, if, if, whatever the cybernetic assassin version of that is, is how I feel about Lady Deathstrike. She was pretty great. Um I guess we're nearing the end of things to talk about. So I guess let's talk about the end of the movie. Okay. One that we already kind of did with the whole Phoenix thing. That's true. Um, Magneto's sneaky bastard that he is. He's going to kill all the humans. That was kind of cool. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, yeah. So so he just walks into the Cerebro and just like moves plates around because he knows how the electronics work. Uh (laughs) Yeah. He built it. Magnetism. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he helped build it remember no i don't did he help build from it the first yeah one. from the first one and oh, also okay. from children or whatever the freaking i can't remember what it's called why do i keep forgetting what it's called the the you know read the 
origin story where they rehire all the actors as young people who look prettier. Days of Future Past. <laughs> no, the, uh, before first that. Class, first class. Yeah, first class. He helped. He and Beast and all them all worked together on it. So he knows okay. how it works. Okay, well, I, I guess that makes more sense. I had forgotten that he was in on it. Um, speaking of Beast, we, randomly, he was in on the TV. He this. was. This was the movie full of cameos. It really was. They spent a lot more time on cameos than fleshing out characters. But mm. I thought that, like, uh, Gene... Gene was really good, again, still, um, even though still only, like, the girlfriend or whatever. Like, I still thought she was great. The actor's great. Like, all of that was cool, but sucked <laughs> in its own way. We're all, I assume we're all fine with her just being the Phoenix because she's a mutant who has Phoenix power versus, like, trying to convince the audience that there's a space-floating thing out there called the Phoenix that possesses her body and stuff like that, right? Well, Shorthand. I don't like it, but it, and I especially don't like how they equate uh, mental illness with the Phoenix, but and like how it's like, oh, well, she just can't control herself. She has a mental illness or whatever. <laughs> like, but uh, also, Professor X like forced her to have a mental illness in this really. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see. I was going to say, when we, when we talk about number three, Patrick Stewart is much closer to a real Professor X at that point. Oh, he totally is. He's a total yeah. dork in that movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, like, I don't know. I think it works better for Gene if it's a different story. I just kind of wish that they would stop, like, leaning on Phoenix because Gene herself is really interesting. And people always kind of seem to forget that in, like, the cartoon, in these movies, like... Kind of in everything, they always want to distract and be like, oh, but it's Phoenix. And it's like, in the comic, Gene isn't even Phoenix. Like, that's not even what happens. Right, right. So it's like, you can have it both ways, I guess. But also, it would just be, it gives a better clarity of the character if it's not just like, oh, every time she uses her powers, she, like, loses her shit entirely (laughs) or something. It's like, that is why this is an, it's like a more offensive take because it's like, well, she, it's like, basically, if a woman is powerful, then this is what happens. Um, Yeah, I I mean, they don't. I think they did a good job steering away from that in the comic for a really long time. They don't really explain, and I guess we could talk about that more in X-Men 3, but they don't really explain why just because, she untaps her potential. She also just automatically becomes dark face evil girl. But totally. But uh, yeah. you know. And it's weird because she has such a different look in X Men Three. I honestly, when I saw it as a twenty whatever year old, I wasn't entirely sure they had the same actress. Hmm. Um. And it's it's sad because the Jean Grey that we have in these two films like you said got to be a lot better in this one than the first one but still there is still so much left undone with her and we just mm-hmm. we never we never get to see that nope well gene <laughs> and everybody else so she's not special they keep uh re-phoenixing her that's like kind of uh-huh. the most consistent problem with that character is is that they don't know how to make her interesting without killing her so um that sucks. <laughs> like there's not really, there's no real positive spin on it. Um, other than wow, Gene is such a cool character that even when you have all of these like shitty tropes that are kind of like weighing her down, she's still a really interesting character. Uh, and I think that that comes through in this movie um, in a strange way, because once again, all the conversations she has are with either Cyclops or Wolverine. Wolverine talking about how they have crushes on her 
and she maybe has which, a crush on one or both of them. Which, by the way, is what the what the Phoenix Saga is all about, too. So, <laughs> well, that's it's a very Silver Age take on Jean. She is the girl character who has a few mental powers. Um, not to put you on the spot, Sarah, but just because you've read so much, what comes to your mind as some other story points or events in Jean's life in the comics that? they could have put on screen before Phoenixing or, or without even Phoenixing her. Like if they did the Sansa actress, whose name I forget, and they weren't doing Dark Phoenix this summer, what's another story they could do with her? Inferno. Inferno with In- Madeline Inferno Pryor. is complicated and it's a mess, but it's such a better Jean Grey story because you actually are dealing with Jean Grey. Uh, you don't get... Jean Grey and the Phoenix Saga like you get her leading up to it in a lot of ways or you get to see this kind of like what we think is Jean and then of course that's all retconned away later and so we're seeing somebody who's like a very Jean character during that time but it still isn't Jean Jean is in the bottom of like Jamaica Bay this whole time right Mm -hmm. so if whenever she comes back from that she has to deal with this like gigantic problem and you'd have to do a lot of buildup, but they do a lot of like rapid buildup in these movies. So I feel like they'd be able to pull off a lot of the key elements of the story, but basically just being against her own clone is kind of a more interesting story to me because it, you just learn more about who Jean is as a person. And then, uh, I love it when <laughs> the whenever Xavier brings Sabretooth into the mansion and Jean just like beats the hell out of him and insults him a bunch of times because he keeps like messing with all of the X-Men. So that one is like really interesting. Just like there's a lot of like character beats in general that Jean's really good in. There's not a lot of good Jean Grey stories. Um, but even X-Men, I think it was called X-Men Season 1 was like kind of a retelling of the Silver Age that was a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember her being more into that. We actually get to see what her perspective is during that time period. Uh, the new Jean Grey series by Dennis Hopeless was pretty good, uh, although that was like very meta and you'd have to like introduce like Teen Jean and all of that. <laughs> um, she was good in X-Men Red. Like she's been good a lot of times, but just generally isn't the focus of the story, unfortunately. Okay, well, that gives an idea for for listeners who might not know as much about her backstory. And like I said last month, um, to me, you know, Jean Grey was this cipher. Like, I didn't even understand how she had died as the Phoenix in Dark Phoenix, but was also in the X-Men animated series and also in the comics again. Like, the fact that she had been brought back again, I kind of understood, but she was around for... 20 years in the comics before getting killed again in the Morrison run, you know, mm-hmm. 15 to 20 years. And I, I just had no inkling of that as, as a, as a non-reader. So um, that there's, there's... time period is excellent. Like Jean isn't the focal point again um, for most of that time. But when she is, she is the best. Like that's kind of her best period because you see this, like really morally indignant side of her. And then just kind of the fact that like, she doesn't scare, like there's no point where like, she's ever really intimidated by anybody. Like even Xavier tries to like scold her at some point And she's just like, that doesn't work. Like you need to check your tone. Um, I just, she's so good during that time period. Every time she shows up, like the problem is, is that they never really give her a focus. Like they're never like, here's this, 
issue where Jean Grey goes off by herself and does some stuff. Like, it's always, like, her having Cyclops feelings or, like, her being in a fight because, like, Wolverine has, like, this thing he needed help with or, like, something like that. So a lot of times you see her in relation still to, like, other characters. But she's also, like, the only X-Men during that whole time period that, like, makes any sense. Like, through the entire 90s, everybody was, like, off on something. And Jean was, like, lucid, didn't want Sabretooth to live in their house, like, (laughs) unlike, you know, Professor Xavier. When I think about people living with me, I definitely think Sabretooth should be a candidate. Yeah, no, but Xavier did. (laughs) Ridiculous. Any other thoughts or things that y'all are thinking about that you want to talk about with this film? Uh, I wanted to talk about Stryker. We haven't really talked about William or Jason Stryker. Oh, and I had a thought on this that I kind of want to throw out there. And, uh, but, but yeah, uh, what, are, what are some thoughts on Stryker? Um, well, isn't he a character from God Loves, Man Kills? Yeah, so I, I feel like they were trying to sort of throw some of that into this other story that involves the origins of Wolverine, and I thought it was kind of an interesting mi- way of mixing those stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought so too. Uh, Stryker is terrible. <laughs> like, you don't even want to, like, look at his face on the screen. But, uh, yeah, he's, a, I guess, in some ways, like, a good villain because he does kind of represent that, like, low-on-personality kind of jerk that just like over moralizes on things that he doesn't really know anything about and that kind of person is a huge threat (laughs) again and again especially i mean you know for queer people and like you know you have people like jerry falwell or something yeah and um i think william striker's original basis was jerry falwell in that in that comic Mm -hmm. um so he i didn't know if he was a an actual Stryker was an actual character in the comics. No, they made that up for this movie. Just in that one graphic novel, as far as I know, the God Loves Man Kills story. Mm-hmm. Okay, I've never read that, I don't think. It's, um, I think, Marvel Graphic Novel 5. It was one of the first really explicit treatments of the mutant me- uh, condition as a metaphor for civil rights and everything else going on. Um, Pride drops the N-word. It's messed up. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Brian Cox is, you know, that's his name, right? Brian Cox is uh, always good at chewing up scenery. So in that sense, I enjoyed the character. I mean, he is kind of supposed to be hated. So what <laughs> are you going to do? Okay, so I had a thought. And I was just randomly, you know, thinking things. Y'all can totally disagree with this and tell me if I'm off, if I'm off base. But, um, okay, so Jason. Jason mm-hmm. has no lines in this. Legion? Uh, is he like a Legion character? I thought I was, I, thought he was. To, I mean, he seems like he's supposed to be Legion-y. I don't know if that's true, but okay. Or, I mean, he could, it could be, yeah, I guess it's like supposed to be a reference to Legion. He stands apart from Legion in some ways, but yeah. Well, let's see. Legion was, was he, who was he related to in the comics? Professor X? Mm-hmm. And he's Gabriel son. Hall. Okay. So he's Professor X's son and Professor X fails or, you know, to train his crazy brain so in this case he's brian cox or uh you know striker's son and professor mm-hmm. x fails to uh to stop his crazy brain and you know prevents him from killing his wife and all that stuff so i, I don't know it just felt very legion to me except yeah i mean it's not exactly right mm-hmm. but same kind of idea different name too as david as opposed oh, to yeah jason but i mean those are that's like a minor you know right. so i wasn't really sure. based on a character like that right and I wasn't sure, you know, if 
if it wasn't going to turn out at some point during the course of the story that Jason wasn't actually also being mind controlled, um, Mm -hmm. we get, I think, a pretty definitive answer to that by the end of the story that he was all doing this voluntarily. But, you know, you never know with William Stryker if he's going to mind control his own son or not. Right. Um, He's very amoral. Right. So when Jason, who appears to be, you know, completely unable to physically interact with his environment um when he goes into charles xavier's head he manifests as a child and obviously the easy read of this uh, the occam's razor reading of this is probably that you know he chose a small girl as a to to appeal to xavier as it as an innocent form or whatever and trick him into doing stuff mm-hmm. but you know with today's thoughts and conversation i think i was like what if Jason's actually like manifesting a truer version of himself in there and we could read some, some trans coding in that. Any thoughts on that? I think we definitely can. I mean, if that's what his mental image or, you know, her mental image is of herself, then yeah, absolutely. I thought that'd be kind of neat. Obviously Brian Singer didn't do that and probably never even thought about that, but maybe one of those we can, it's our story now. After he's made it, we can read into it whatever we want. Exactly. In that but, case, I mean, it's not great because you have this character who is like severely impaired and like, you know, it's like right. if, if that is what they were saying, they certainly didn't do a great job of portraying any kind of trans <laughs> story. Well, yeah, he's he's another character that's just mind controlled the entire time. True. Yeah. And, and then dies. Also. It's not great for disabled people either. Like the the uh, way that this character is portrayed as kind of troubling. Um, but yeah, I I wouldn't I would never think to argue with somebody who uh, was like, yeah, that character is trans because if that's what like whatever your mental uh, view of yourself is, you know, and that's like what they go to like immediately. Like it was from what I understand their choice to appear that way unless mm-hmm. I'm missing something in that part of the story, then yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Xavier likes to help little mutant children, you know, that's kind of his bag. So it sort of makes sense that he would just use that as a manipulation tool too. Totally. Um, you know, it's weird. Not that Wikipedia is the, the be all and end all of anything, but I'm looking up what they think he is uh-huh. and they link him to mastermind. Oh, Jason right. Striker. Yeah, and if I look up Legion as an article, they Jason don't. Jason totally. Weingard. Yep. Um, I don't know. That just doesn't ring true to me, though, really, because Mastermind's like kind of a jerky. But whatever, he's mind controlled. So how do you know what his personality is? I guess. Interesting. Yeah, but it, you do know because uh, Stryker says like he's just so crazy and uncontrollable that. He like killed my wife by making her see. I can't even remember what he said. Making her see something, and she like clawed her own face off or something like that. You know, <laughs> basically, like, that's not really mastermind. That's more legion to me. Like just danger, wildly dangerous telepath guy. But mm-hmm. um, either way, it doesn't matter. I guess I just want to be right. <laughs> uh, it's totally you're right though you really are if they're talking about jason and somebody who has the power of uh illusion then yeah absolutely that's mastermind um definitely not like mastermind in the comic but no because i don't think mastermind can read your thoughts and like trick you into 
you know, um, opening Cerebro, could he? He wouldn't know how to do that. He would just show you things. But it's he like the slow want. temptation, right? Like he can get to you over time, but he couldn't get to you immediately. Right. He can't like he can't read John Wilson's mind and figure out what your home address is and stuff like that. He can not just like, immedi- not immediately. The, the whole thing with the with the Dark Phoenix saga is that he has a protracted, intimate connection with Jean Grey uh-huh. that allows him he to builds. slowly. Yeah, he he builds. He you know masquerades as a bunch of people in her life and according to the classic X-Men backup actually has a romantic inter- you know liaison with her in the Greek islands for a while. So it's the it's you know. Um, nothing he can do. <laughs> no, and, what, that? And, and what we're covering is Brotherhood of Evil Mutants where basically he's the guy who makes fire appear and then all the X-Men say don't listen it's not real fire and they just keep doing what they're doing so <laughs> but then Xavier kind of comes out of the fire magically yeah <laughs> Silver Age it's Like, uh, what's the point of illusion if you can just say it's an illusion it <laughs> seems like really ineffective for poor mastermind but whatever <laughs> You know, I do it at magic shows. It never works. I say, he didn't really make the Statue of Liberty disappear, but I still can't find it. (laughs) All right. So we we have Stryker. We have hints of Phoenix coming next movie for what that's, you know, coming out of Apocalypse and seeing the new actors for Phoenix. I'm sorry, for, for Jean Grey and Scott. I was so excited for the Dark Phoenix movie. And then the test screeners are, are coming back with less than positive results. But I really want this Dark Phoenix movie to be, you know, a more successful telling. But we have before us X-Men The Last Stand coming in a couple of months. So <laughs> that's that's an experience we're going to have. <laughs> <laughs> Again, that won't be successful, I imagine. But, you know, no spoilers. Maybe oh, you guys yeah. love it. I don't know. Yeah, wouldn't it suddenly, if we all like suddenly are like, wow, this like missed out on its Oscar. I don't. Right. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I haven't seen it in a long time, so maybe I'll, I'll change my tune. But my memory is that it's kind of two films in one and the stuff about the cure and everything is actually kind of a good movie, but maybe not. We'll see. Yeah. I definitely just uh, tore it to tiny little pieces on sci-fi not too long Oops. ago. <laughs> all right. Well, so I won't read that before we do our thing then. Yeah, if give, you want to spoil our review, listeners, you can go check out Sarah's article on Sci-Fi Fangirls. You should go check out Sarah's articles on Sci-Fi Fangirls anyway. Sarah, what's some things that you posted recently? Oh, uh, well, I just now wrote about Sabretooth in the mansion. So oh. that was on my brain, obviously. Um, and let's see, there was another one. X-Men something. Hmm. Something else happened. I don't know. <laughs> there was a lot of articles that go up on there. I think that the last one I wrote, I'm just drawing such a blank. Yeah, I don't know. Let's just say the same. Well, they obviously mean nothing to her, so. They mean nothing to me. <laughs> I am writing so much all of the time that, like, sometimes I'll read something back and be like, did I write this? <laughs> like, but that sounds I like did. our podcasting. I'll be like, did I really say that? Or, yeah. Oh, that's when that's when we get mail. It's like, what are they even talking about? I don't even remember thinking that. Okay. Exploring <laughs> intimacy issues with Gambit and Rogue. That's I'll the one. Your, I'll yeah. do your work for you. The X Men Sabretooth and When Redemption Fails. Uh, book versus Flick. American Psycho. That oh, was yeah. a good one. I read that one. Uh, the the greatest Catwoman of all time. Oh, yep. So those are the top. Was that five? One, two, three. Let me give you one more. Choose your own demise. Prisoners of the Ant People. 
which is just talking about uh, choose your own adventure books, but all of the times I die whenever I'm reading well, well, it. Well, let's do one more then because it's X-Men related. The 13 greatest X-Men of all time was 19 days ago. So that's one you guys can all comment on and disagree with her completely. Yeah, there was somebody who got really mad that there was nine women and four men on it. Oh, nobody likes the greatest of all time list, but we love to read them. Isn't it great? I know. Who Where'd can you... all... <laughs> It's so funny how people how, get like, upset. Yeah. Ahead. No, I remember that she was tweeting about that exact thing. It's like, you know, people get so upset when you make, you know, top things of all time lists. It's like, <laughs> why can't you just enjoy it and go, oh, okay, that's her opinion and move on. It's like, why does it got to be? No, you didn't do my list. <laughs> it was fun. People, it's, when X-Men fans are being fun, they're super fun. So, like, having yeah. conversations of people being like, girl, we need to talk about you putting Beast on this list. Like, yeah, yeah. That was fun. <gasps> How dare they say that? Anyway, that's true, though. He is an Avenger. I forgot. You know? <laughs> All right. Well, we will. Um, Sarah will be returning um, soon on the show. We we might have to make her an honorary co-host as much as she's going to be on the show in the future. Um, <laughs> because we have a new Marvel movie next month that is Finally. coming out. So Captain Marvel is on the way. Uh we're, we're in talks to do a Daredevil recording soon, so there might be like an extra not-comic special one of these months coming up soon, and and lots more coming down the pike. So that is all happening. So, Sarah, they can find you on Twitter, yes? Yes, at Sarah Century, no H. No H. And um, Sci-Fi Fangirls is S-Y-F-Y Fan G-R-R-L-S, so you can find them on Twitter and also their website. Um, and there's Mike always... Great stuff going up on there. So highly recommend. Lots of fantastic ladies writing about all the nerdy things you love to talk and read about. (laughs) Mike, where can they find you on the internet if they want to stalk you? Nowhere. I just do this. (laughs) So makearsmarvel.com. That's it. (laughs) I don't do any work. I just show up and give my opinions. The end. Like I've been in this office for three weeks. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And um, I am at... Uh, my various places. There's this podcast, Makers Marvel. There's my other podcast, All the Pouches, and Image Comics podcast at All the Pouches. There is Super Silly Sentai, my Go Ranger commentary podcast, with my son, which is at is my Scarlet Witch tweet blog at It's Wanda Time, which uh, as we're recording is up through X Men Five, but probably by the time this goes up, might have X Men Six on it. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah oh also me i am at john reads comics also with no h <laughs> and but, you guys don't type no h just don't type an h <laughs> um whenever i was in spanish uh courses at university i um they wanted us to pick a, a spanish name and i never did like the name juan for etymological reasons um so i would call myself sinache which is Spanish for without an H. (laughs) Anyways. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you all for listening and we will see you next time. Thanks everybody. Bye.